hit me. From Studio P in Sausalito, the home of the hit, it's time for... Sucker Time. The number one award-seeking comedy podcast about comedy. Podcast. And here's your host, internationally recognized comedy podcast podcaster, Mark Hershaw. Hello. Yes, it's me, Mark Hershon. And yes, this is Suckatash, the comedy podcast podcast, Epi 91 to be exact. What we mostly do is play clips from comedy podcasts from all over the internet. Some we pick, and by we, I mean myself and our associate producer, Tyson Saner. Others get submitted by the comedy podcasters themselves. Still others are suggested by listeners who want to make sure that their favorite podcasts are being shared with others. This time we've got a half dozen clips lined up and ready to roll for this episode, and we also have a special guest as well, Nick Revel, one of the creators and hosts of No Pressure to Be Funny, which is a very funny panel show out of England. I wanted to put together a, a, a show where you could you could have a combination of uh, mainly comedians talking, but maybe a, a pundit from journalism or politics or some kind of non-government organization or whatever, so that you would have a mixture of serious... So that the gags were there to, uh, to discuss the story rather than just using the story to get gags. Um, right. Because I just felt that a lot of the stuff I saw on TV, particularly over here, um, was just getting a bit shallow, really, you know, masquerading as satire rather than doing anything with any depth. And I'm, a, you know, I must say that the American models were a real inspiration, like, mm. uh, like uh, John Stewart, like Bill Maher, uh, like Colbert and, and so on. I had a delightful Skype chat with Nick about a week or so ago, and we will have that coming up later this show. Uh, before I go much further, I, uh, I'm using a new microphone, trying this out. It's uh, the new iRig HD microphone from 1K Multimedia, and uh, I hope it sounds okay. I've been testing it, and it seems to be cool. Uh, I'm using it in conjunction with my, uh, my iPhone 5. I am currently sitting in Studio F, my convertible Fiat, although the top is up, the windows are down because it's 90 degrees on a Saturday afternoon in my driveway. But this is the best studio I've got available to me at the moment. So here we are. Uh, we've got a great uh, rest of our show, the usual features coming up, uh, Bursto Durst with uh, comedian Will Durst, the Tweet Sack, where I will talk about an interesting chitter that I had about the patent troll case that Adam Carolla is currently fighting to help protect podcasting as we know it. And we've got a classic Henderson's Pants commercial coming up as well. I thought I would also mention that Succotash will be present and accounted for at the third annual Los Angeles Podcast Festival, the last weekend in September, coming up in a couple of months. Just signed up for the all-festival ticket, and I have tweeted out to the PodFest that I will be happy to host or guest on a panel or two if they would like that. So far, as you might be able to guess, Twitter silence so far. But that's okay. I plan to stake out a table in the Squarespace Podcast Lab for as long as they'll let me. So if you're going to be there at this year's L.A. PodFest, look me up, set right down, and we'll have ourselves a chat. It's going to be at the Sofitel in West Hollywood this year, so not out in Santa Monica. Much more centrally located, easier to get to, a lot more stuff around it. Uh, so that's going to be fun. If you'd like more info, check them out at LAPodFest.com. That's a free commercial for my friends at the Los Angeles Podcast Festival. 
We've got a nice message in on the Succotash hotline this week from a proud recipient of our brand new Succotash zipper pull. Hey, Mark, this is John Price. I just got my Succotash zipper pull, and I've already given it a place of honor on my new New Orleans Saints jacket that I have. I love the show, and I we're in the zipper pool proudly. We'll talk to you later, sir. Bye. Hey, thanks, John. You know, we've gotten a number of requests in for the zipper pull. It's a little tiny Succotash logo with a clip that attaches to almost any zipper and pulls it. Well, you pull it, it pulls the zipper. It works just like just like that. It's just like a zipper with a little thing on it. Uh, unlike the other merch in our Succotashery, you can currently get one of these little beauties absolutely free. Just email your snail mail address to zipper at succotashshow.com and we will send it out to you. I will even pay for the postage. How about that? Because I love you. That's right. Unconditionally. Well, it is sort of conditional on the fact you have to be listening to the show. Otherwise, how would I know you to love you? Friends of Succotash, Dean Haglin and Phil Larinus have been gaining listeners like crazy since jumping their Chill Pack Hollywood Hour podcast over to Blog Talk Radio. But even though they're now wearing network big boy pants, I'm de- delighted to know that they can still take time to mention our humble show. We have several emails from uh, listeners that will kind of bunch together here. Sure. Uh, one was uh, Rob Walsh, Vice President of Podcaster Relations. From Libsyn, wrote, wanting to know why we left. (laughs) Was something missing that would have kept us as customers? And uh, honestly, bandwidth... Would have been good. Would have have been good. I mean, the the reason we, years later, have only managed to make a certain number of episodes available uh, from the archives... Uh, is is because it's uh, it's a laborious process and it's uh, a process that's much easier at Blog Talk Radio and um, our storage space yep. at our new home is unlimited. Well, because they have advertising, whereas Libsynth, uh, you could buy yep. uh, upper tiers of more bandwidth. But as you know, this is a free show without yep. uh, any technical sponsors. Absolutely. And so we are uh, we're going Blog Talk for the sheer economy. Uh, and also big bandwidth. And also to be, you know, again, I mean, I love this idea of people can find us a new way. Yes. You know, we absolutely. haven't necessarily eliminated any of the old ways that people can find us. Right. Uh, you can still go to chillpackhollywood.com. Um, Stitcher. Now, the only way that uh, people have, yes, yeah, Stitcher is finally available again for those who reached out. It looks like the links all work. Yay. We'll make sure that this week's uh, gets up there. But that uh, is, is we had a little bit of a problem there redoing the links, but that seems to be solved. The only place where you can't hear us anymore, uh, and I'm not sure anybody did, uh, was Facebook. We had a player there from Libsyn, but hello, Libsyn. Uh, apparently, when Facebook did their latest overhaul, your player stopped working. Ah. And I reached out to other podcasters like Mark Hershon, yeah, the comedy podcast podcaster over at Suckatash. And uh, he said that, no, the player had stopped working uh, uh, at some for point. For them as well. And uh, so, well, hey, way to let us know, Libsyn, <laughs> that thanks to the Facebook overhaul, uh, this was not working and way to get that fixed. Hey, I got a bone to pick with you guys. Okay, well, not you guys, Dean and Phil, I guess, but with one of your faithful listeners, somebody named Agent Summer, hmm, name sound familiar? I know I've heard you reading his emails on your show before. Well, he decided to catch a uh, an episode of Succotash. So the good news is the cross-promotion 
it's working. But apparently he didn't like what he heard or what she heard. I don't know. But uh, that's fine. But then Agent Summer decided to go public and give us just a two-star review on iTunes. And the review went on to say that our show had more obscenities than he was comfortable with. Well, I'm sorry, Agent Summer, but we're not that dirty. Succotash is not that dirty. Now, maybe some of the clips we play are, but that's just to show you what's out there. It's a warning shot, so to speak. So just don't listen to those shows. You know, you could have given us a five-star review just for letting you know that those shows are out there. I'll tell you what, in the future, if you're going to give us a low rating, just don't bother to rate us at all. We come out better for it. (sighs) Anyway, it's not Chillpack's fault. Uh, You can catch Dean, Phil, and the entire Chillpack Hollywood Hour at their home site, chillpackhollywood.com, or at Blog Talk Radio. Speaking of Dean Haglin, just this last week, he was a guest on Kamel Nanjiani's relatively new podcast, The X-Files Files. Now, as a huge X-Files fan myself, I saw the series from the beginning when it originally aired, all the way through even the lame eighth and ninth seasons. Kamel is going through the series, an episode or two at a time, and deconstructing each one, then talking about different elements of the show, and even reading some of the original buzz off of the use, the online user group message boards from the time, which was like back to to 93, the beginning of the show. He discovered they still exist on Google, so he has a guest on every time. Well, I'm going to take credit for this, uh, this most recent episode in part because I suggested to Kamel on Twitter that he contact friend of Succotash Gene Haglund to be his guest for the episode in season one when the lone gunmen make their debut. Now, Kumail even said in this episode's opening that it was a suggestion on Twitter that led him to Dean, so I'm taking the credit. How about that? I thought it was so cool. Your, your characters, the first time you show up, like it's such a... What, and what's cool is you guys, in a way, represent all the people who are still online, like the cool punk rock guy, yeah. the super nerdy guy, and then like the lecherous yeah, like pervert. Guy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. That's still what, who's online. That's right. Those, Those kinds of people. Yeah. yeah. And that apparently was based on Glenn Morgan, James Wong, walking through an airport, and there was a table, and there was guys hanging out, uh, handing out UFO literature. In the airport, of all things, and there was a long-haired guy and a guy in a leather jacket and a guy in a suit. And I thought, oh, my God, that is brilliant. Why would these three guys, you know, well, what? They could not wrap their head, and they talked about that on the flight. They That's said, so we've got to put that in a show. And they were super detailed about it. In fact, even my Ramones T-shirts were specified in the description by Glenn and James. So it was not, oh, let's just randomly throw a Ramones. It was like he's wearing a Ramones T-shirt, the suit. Like, they had it described to the T, so that when we came to set, it was like, no, you're wearing a Ramones t-shirt, you're going to have the glasses, and that's going to be your look. That's such a funny scene, because one, it sort of shows, like, you know, Mulder looks like he's like this sort of uh, well-put-together, very handsome guy, and then we see, you know, you three guys, where you're all sort of, what you're saying is way kookier than what he's saying, but then you guys, who is it, no, Bayer says to Mulder, he's like, that's why we like you, your ideas are even weirder than ours. That's right, that the, that it causes the Gulf War syndrome. What was it? The, the UFOs. The UFOs called yeah. the Gulf War syndrome. Yeah, we UFOs. all laugh at him. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That you're like, you're an idiot. And it's a, like, oh my gosh. That's such a great scene. Your introduction is so good because each of you gets like a funny little moment. You talk about how you were hanging out with the guy who killed JFK, right? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I just had lunch with the guy who killed JFK. I can't really, I've memorized all these lines. How many years later? 20? Uh, yeah, I just had lunch with the guy who killed JFK. It's an old dude now, but said he was uh, having... Sitting in the grassy knoll, dressed as a cop in the grassy knoll. Oh, wow. Yeah, you yeah, remember yeah. the exact I line. I totally remember that. I know. Isn't that weird? That's, 
that's sort of bizarre that it's still in my head somewhere. I mean, you that's think, amazing. You think I would have put something useful in there? No, no, no. <laughs> that's that's the most useful thing I can think of. But in fact, that is a theory, right? JFK. There was a cop dressed as a uh, in yes. Gassy Knoll. There was a cop who was the second shooter. I also something. like the idea that you're just hanging out with this guy. I now. know. Just like, like years later, having lunch. Yeah. So what was it like to kill Kennedy? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, you get this one with your killing Kennedy money yeah, that exactly. you made. He <laughs> totally. probably made a ton, right? Well, and that's the thing, you know, when you were saying deep throat, you didn't know if he's a good guy or a bad guy. If you look at the second scene, it's a brief scene, uh, and we had shot a longer version of that, but they cut it down for length. Uh, when Mulder calls me to get uh, access into the uh, government facility that has the... That's right. The, uh, bi the biological entity. Yeah. Uh, extraterrestrial biological entity, the EBE. Uh, I'm recording his conversation. Oh, that's right. And he says, right? turn it turn off. I go, it's off. And it's yeah. still rolling in the background. Yeah. Turn it it's off already. Like, yeah. Like, the whole thing, right? And you're like, wait a sec. You can't even trust the gunman in the early oh, days. Yeah. Like, you didn't know which side even, you know, we oh, yeah. were. Uh, I've actually chittered. As coined in my chat with recent guest Jordan Brady, that was our accidental accidental portmanteau of chatting and Twitter. I've chittered with Kamail, and he's agreed to Skype it up with me one of these days. Or maybe I'll just wait till I'm in L.A. for the upcoming PodFest and we can talk in person. But The X-Files Files is just one of his many podcastery things. Kamail and wife Emily host the Indoor Kids uh, over on the Nerdist Network. He's also a frequent guest on Harmontown, and he's been doing a lot of TV lately as a cast member on HBO's Silicon Valley, which is setting up for their second season. And he also does a Nerd Melt comedy show on Comedy Central with Jonah Ray. Booyah! Go, Kumail! And you guys can catch the X-Files files at their home site on feralaudio.com, plus pretty much anywhere else that podcasts can be had. And now it's time for our exclusive feature... The 10 most active shows in the Stitcher Top 100 Comedy Podcast List. Looking at Stitcher's Top 100 Comedy Podcasts, these are the shows that have moved up or down the most in the past week. At number 34, Burt Cast's podcast is up eight places. At 38, The Smartest Man in the World with Greg Proops, down four places. At number 40, Smodcast Education is up 16 places. At 47, This Week in Blackness Radio, down six spots. At 64, The Champs with Neil Brennan and Moshe Kasher, down 15 places. At 74, Pointless with Kevin Pereira, down seven places. At 86, Nobody Likes Onions, up six points. At 87, DVD ASA with David Choi and Aza Akira, down five places. At 88, the New York City Crime Report is up 20 places to get back in the top 100. And at 91, the Mike Bettencourt Show is up 8 places. So there you go. There's this week's rundown of... The 10 most active shows in the Stitcher Top 100 Comedy Podcast List. All right. How's about we get into some clippage? The first one up was sent in by one of the hosts, and it's the Tennis Minutes Show. Hosted by MJ Hughes, Rob and Sarah, their specialty is being a platform for new comedy writers to get their stuff produced. It looks like they're out of England, and their show is a bit along the lines of another show from Britain, the 4AM Cab Podcast, uh, in the fact that they invite writers to contribute, which I think is great. The more the merrier, actually. 
And my bad, incidentally, I told Michael Hughes that I would use their clip back in Epi 89 and I lost their download. So here it is now. Doctor, my wife, she got bit by one of those creatures. Set her down, son. Will she live? Looks bad. I, I don't know. Fight it, please, honey, fight it. What type blood is she? Oh, negative. What about you, son? The same. Then we might just have a shot. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Okay, son, I'm going to need you to perform a transfusion. What does that mean? It means I've got to take your blood and put it in her. Find a vein in your arm and we'll get the needle in. Oh, needle? Yes, for the transfusion. Uh, is there any other way to do it? What? No, it's a blood transfusion. Yeah, I get that, but I just kind of feel like I've escaped from Count Dracula and now his mum, Mrs. Dracula, that's you, is trying to get me. Son, she's only got moments before she turns. Yeah, I know, and I'm saying I'll do the transfusion... But isn't there another way that doesn't involve, you know, your, your sharp, pointy friend there? Roll up your sleeve and show me a vein now. What about my saliva? I could do the trick. What? Have you even considered the healing properties of saliva? I've got loads of that. I'll grab a bucket, we'll get started. Look, that poor woman's life is hanging by a thread. We need blood. Yeah, I know. Ah, this is so it, hard. What? I hope she doesn't change, because that would certainly take the decision out of my hands. Sorry, son. You're on your own. Oh, no. Look at that. She's changed. Now I don't have to lose any of my lovely blood. If you'd like to have them consider using your comedy sketches on the Tenish Minutes show, pop over to their home site, thetenishminutesshow.wordpress.com, and be sure to click on the How to Submit Your Work link. You can also just look that up on Google if you didn't have time to write down the URL, the Tenish Minutes Show. Tenets, the, the Tenish Minutes Show. Much easier to spell than it is to say. Or you can visit us at SuccotashShow.com and click on the title to their show, which I'm not going to repeat another time, in our blog that accompanies this episode. This is Adam Spiegelman from a podcast called Proudly Resents, and we've been featured on this show, Suckatash, the comedy podcast podcast with a name impossible to spell. But fun to listen to. Every week I become aware of more and more podcasts that demonstrate that we are in the midst of micro-targeting our audiences here in podcast land. Our associate producer Tyson Sainer nipped this clip from Felice Navi Pod with host Tony Thaxton. The show year-round is in the spirit of those old Christmas specials on TV like Andy Williams used to do. On episode 24, Tony's guests were Carol Spinney, the voice of Big Bird and Oscar the Grouch from Sesame Street, and Dave LaMatina. All right, I'm sitting here with Carol Spinney and Dave LaMatina. Am I saying it right? You are, yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And uh, I think we also might have a couple of uh, friends here as well, Oscar. Yeah, I, I, I'm, yeah me, I'm first. <laughs> <laughs> and Big Bird's here as well? I am Oscar the Grouch. <laughs> yeah, but I am Big Bird. And the film's called the, Me, That, Ha <laughs> Oscar. Yes. I like that. I don't like it one bit. <laughs> it's a huge thrill to have all of you here. Thank you so much for taking the time. Never thank a grouch. <laughs> I'm sorry. Forget I said it. Forget I said it. I, I've already forgotten. <laughs> Who are you anyway? <laughs> you know, Oscar, just be quiet. <laughs> uh, I'd rather have, have say just shut up. <laughs> that's not polite. Well, that, that's why you should say it. <laughs> okay, shut up. Oh. Wow, what a rude bird. <laughs> 
pulling out the ugly side of Big Bird. I never thought I'd hear it. I didn't know I had one. <laughs> <coughs> Excuse me. Well, thank you guys so much for taking the time. Thank you. Um, just uh, for anybody listening to this, kind of the backstory is uh, <coughs> the I Am Big Bird movie that is, is touring festivals right now uh, did a Kickstarter a couple years ago, which I donated to. And uh, thank you for that. <laughs> absolutely, my pleasure. And uh, I was I was uh, just for uh, Carol and Oscar and Big Bird's sake. I used to tour around the world as a professional musician for a long time, and uh, I kind of tried to play that uh, that band card after I had donated <laughs> to the Kickstarter. And, and I the, contacted these the, guys. The band card worked because Chad was such a huge fan of your band. He's like, I can't believe Tony got in touch with this. This is awesome. <laughs> yeah, so I reached out and just kind of said who I was. It's like. I'm in a moderately successful band, and if there's anything I can do... Well, you're lucky, because it wouldn't have worked with me. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing works with you, Oscar. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it, and it, it, I never imagined to even really hear anything back, and they were like, well, next time you're in New York, we should set up an interview. And I thought, cool, and then we did it, and then I thought, oh, they'll never use it, and now it turns out I'm actually in the movie, so it's an <laughs> honor to be... Sharing I didn't a, recognize you. <laughs> you know, it's funny. To, to, just this is a first time we've talked about this, but your your interview was going to be one of this. We're going to do this whole thing where we interviewed a bunch of fans, and then the film took a little bit of a different turn, and we didn't end up doing a bunch of fans. But what you said was so perfect for the opening of the film that we're like, well, we got to keep this in. So. Awesome. <laughs> it's a bit of a non sequitur, but it, it totally works. You <laughs> right. know? So it was such a good sentiment. Like we literally went through and said. Does anyone else say this? And they're like, nope, Tony nailed it. <laughs> nice. Well, my plan worked then. <laughs> Turn that up just a little. Um, but yeah, I just, uh, gosh, there's like, I feel like there's a million things I would, I would love to ask you. I just, well, I grew up. You can go right ahead. <laughs> <laughs> such a uh, lifelong fan as so many people are, and I'm sure you hear all the time. But it's not a bad thing to hear. <laughs> Understandable. <laughs> But uh, it's it's pretty incredible that you is it forty five years now? Forty five years, yeah. It doesn't feel like it. Yeah, would maybe twenty eight, thirty years. But well, if you just lump them all together in a memory, you uh-huh. see it. And anything like forty five years. Yeah. But that's I was thirty five when I started, so that makes me uh, sixty, seventy, I don't know, something. I don't count. Right. <laughs> he can count. <laughs> and uh, I think I read somewhere recently that you were saying you you kind of just. You don't. You want to go at least five more years? I heard. Oh yeah, that's great. Definitely. That'll be an even fifty then. Well, yeah, but I, that's I, that's I. I always use the word at least fifty. Right. Years. Right. I don't want to have it. There's no uh, cutoff demanded, and Sesame Street's very nice to me about that. That's and great. They can do it. And they, with any help, they they said if any help we can do to keep you going, uh, we'd love to have it. That's great. Yeah. Yeah, and I know that. Uh, You've been kind of mentoring Matt Vogel, right, to kind yeah, of take over? right. Well, he is just the most able person because he's now one of the producers and directors. Okay. And, uh, and he's been waiting for many years, it's 17 or 18 years, I think, to get the position that I told him, it's yours. <laughs> <laughs> Eventually. And, and uh, so I've apologized to him for holding on to it so long. And he, he's, he's just the most giving person. He said, oh, my God, I hope I never have to replace you. Yeah, you know, and uh, so, but because he's certainly found his place with the company, he's uh-huh. incredibly useful. That's great. And directly, a wonderful guy. Yeah, and a, a patient guy, I guess too. <laughs> incredibly patient. <laughs> That's great. You can get that old Yuletide spirit all year round from Tony Thaxton's home site at FelicNavipod.com, and also, of course, iTunes, Stitcher, and probably SoundCloud. 
Actually, I don't know that that show is up on SoundCloud, but I do know that our show is up on SoundCloud, so don't forget to look for Succotash over there. While you're at SuccotashShow.com, by the way, take advantage of our Amazon banner at the top of the page to do a little online shopping at the world's largest store. That's right. Go to Amazon from our site, and we get a little bit shaved off from any purchase that you might make during your visit. It doesn't cost you a thing, and it helps us kind of keep things running here at Succotash. Tyson got us a clip from Walking the Room, a show that I really like, but with a pair of hosts who won't, they, they just won't give me the time of day. The couple of times that our paths have crossed, I've tried to get them in front of the microphone. I even got all dressed up one night with my pants and everything to go chat with them at the Punchline in San Francisco, and it was all set up in advance, and they ended up blowing me off. Uh, sure, hey, I get it. Famous comedians, busy writers, important podcasters. Well, you know what? In a few minutes, I'll have Nick Revel in here, all the way from England, so I guess Succotash is still good enough for some folks. All right. Here's Walk in the Room. Did you see the guy that I... that I? Okay, so I, I, I brought you in on it because I said, please don't listen to our podcast. Did you see that guy that tweeted at me where he said, he said, hey, I think you're really funny and I enjoy all your work, but you're a, you're a fucking moron. And then... Was and, that like a Walk in the Room joke moron thing? No, he was being serious. He goes, when it comes to science, you're a moron. And I, I tweeted at him, Greg and I would like it if you would not listen to the podcast. Sure. And he's like, no, I'm still going to listen to the podcast. Okay. You're just a moron. And I said, well, we, just so you know, you're listening to something and the people doing it don't want you to listen because you're a fucking asshole. Yeah. What is the deal? Why would he, why do do people feel the need to tell you stuff? But here's the other thing. No, no shit. No fucking shit. But here's the other thing. I've, we've done 200 and two episodes of this. Three I now. don't remember you ever making a solid science stand. <laughs> like, if anything, have. we have been we have been super candid about and funny about the fact that science is not like we are. I mean, look, here's the thing: we have we know our science. Yeah, we have our Was own that, personal now, science. Is this a is Maggots. this a uh, does this become one of those uh, uh, global warming things? I, I bet you a million dollars. It's, it's a global warming. It's a global thing. warming thing. In, in which case, if you Here's think I'm the, a moron, then then I, I stand with the, the 98% of scientists who are apparently morons. Here's how I would look at it in the most layman of terms, because, well, even the most layman person can understand this. Remember the weather when you were a kid? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Do you know how it is now? Yeah. It's so much different, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. That might mean nothing, but it probably means something, <laughs> and I can't see the logic in not looking at that possibility. <laughs> That's all it is. That is the That is... Absolutely, one hundred percent. Yeah, it might mean nothing. Yeah, it may just be the shifting of the universe. Yeah, but it could mean something. Yeah, it might mean because we're seeing big things happen. Maybe they're supposed to. I don't. But I even don't if they so. are supposed to, most of us don't want to die, oh. or our kids to die, or whatever. So yeah, that's the other thing. It's just investigating the idea of it. Why is that so fucking threatening to people? Well, because they think that because their tax dollars are going to get spent on it. Yeah, yeah. No, they think people are going to lose their jobs and tax dollars. And the opposite is true. Green, green will create jobs. No, 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 no. no. We already have thousands and thousands of people hired to to do this stuff. So no new jobs will be created. Right. So never mind. I made a bad. There'll be no new technologies based around the fact that the thing is melting and the sea is going to go up and we're all going to be floating. That can't. There won't be at all. We're going to be what in a week? Floating and then skin cancer. It's all happening at once. 
It's going to be cold and hot at the same time. Um, are you a scientist? I have gone over the Grand Canyon in an airplane. <laughs> so I know a little about a lot. Best. You know, all, listen, can I say this best to all scientists? Ever. All you have to do is look down to see up. Have you ever flown? Have you ever looked at the Grand Canyon? What, what with the you? fuck have does you ever, that mean? Have you ever flown? What over does the, that mean? I know you've probably flown over the Grand Canyon. Have yeah, you ever seen it from an airplane? Yeah, that's the fucking way to see it. Don't go to the Grand Canyon. <laughs> go across. Go over the Grand Canyon, and just—I'm not kidding. You, the whole Majesty cannot be. It can only be taken in from up high. Just the just the, the size. You know what I mean? You can't. You don't get that from standing at the edge. Am I supposed to feel sorry for you? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's, I mean. Let me tell you something. I think if you do, I'm on brand. Greg Barrett, Dave Anthony, funny guys. Check them out at their home site, walkingtheroom.libsyn.com, and all of the other fine places that podcasts are downloaded and or streamed. And now this. Friends at Henderson's Pants, we recognize America's, nay, the world's love for a good pair of blue jeans. Comfortable, casual, and another C word I can't think of just now. But most of the blue jeans on the market today are just so much overhyped, acid-washed, distressed, low-hanging, ill-fitting, poor excuses for denim that Henderson's has reintroduced a true classic, the 100% dungarees. Just like the rough-and-ready trousers worn by our company, founder Jebediah Henderson back in 1827, these dungarees are made from 100% real dung. Through an unique patented process, manure from 17 different species, including water buffalo, sloth, and rhinoceros, is synthesized into the most durable fabric ever to come from feces. So durable, in fact, that there's no punishment these pants can't stand up to, and they'll do it standing on their own. You know, people write in to ask us all the time, quote, how do you get rid of the smell of shit? <clears throat> well, never mind that kind of language isn't fit for proper business communication, let alone the intranet. The answer is simple. We don't. In the words of old Jebediah himself, if the pants didn't smell like dung, what's the point of making them out of dung? Back in the 1800s, people only thought of Henderson's 100% dungarees as only being fit for the farm. But nowadays, of course, with the entire world knee-deep in doo-doo, whether it's the boardroom or in the classroom, from Wall Street to Main Street, anywhere's the place to be in your flagrantly fragrant Henderson's dungalicious 100% dungarees. Originally designed for the farmer in the dell, demons in hell, and Batman smells, Robin laid an egg, Batman lost a wheel, and the Joker got away. This is a lot of shit, you know that. If I didn't need this job... <clears throat> That's Henderson's, makers of fine trousers and pantaloons since 1827, and now back to Succotash. Okay, before we get to my interview with No Pressure to Be Funny's Nick Revel, let's fish around in the old tweet sack. First up, and this goes back a couple of weeks now, I had an exchange with someone on Twitter with the handle... The Patent Pirate, or something like that. I, it was a new account. And now that I go back trying to find those messages, I, I can't find them. So maybe he already deleted his account. I don't know. But they were in response to our tweet that we put out to help support Adam Carolla's fight against this patent troll that's trying to strong arm the bigger shows into paying a licensing fee for something they really shouldn't have a claim on. 
Now, this patent pirate tweeter was ranting that I should listen to Adam Curry's podcast where he takes Corolla's arguments apart, which I did, and Curry does. But Adam Curry seems to be barking up the wrong tree without a paddle. I tracked down the patent itself online, and although it's a bit technical, it also seems to be protecting something different than what we podcasters are doing with our show. Uh, it was originally designed for actually things on, on cassettes, uh, and then it was updated to include things on uh, uh, DVDs or C- CDs, and then eventually uh, in 2012, this was that dated back to the 90s, but then they updated it in 2012 and tried to horn in something having to do with the uh, storing music on uh, on a playlist. And so I think the reason Apple has been paying these guys a licensing fee is because that's what they do. But from the the podcasting end of things, the patent really doesn't seem to apply to us. So uh, I think this case is actually in the right place that, uh, that Mr. Corolla is up to. So uh, come to our, our site, SuccotashShow.com. There's a link there if you want to help out the fight against the patent trolls, throw them a few bucks. That'll be helpful. Anyway, I explained all that to Patent Pirate, which is not easy to do, 140 uh, characters on, on Twitter. And he actually checked it out himself and agreed with me. So there, justice wins or something like that. Uh, this week, I've reviewed the Judge John Hodgman podcast over on Splitsider.com for This Week in Comedy podcast. You can also catch that review up on Huffington Post. Uh, and I would also like to say goodbye to Bradford Evans, who has been the editor at, Split, uh, at Splitsider.com that I've been sending my reviews to every week for uh, the past couple of years. He's moved on this week to pursue his own comedy writing career. Seems like a very nice guy. I wish him all the luck in the world. Been trying to line up an interview with the amazing Jonathan, who was on uh, WTF with Mark Marin a week or so ago. Great interview. Jonathan has retired from live performance and is uh, not doing so well health-wise, it seems. Well, he and I go way back, AJ and me. So he says he'll come on and chat it up with me real soon. We'll see. That's what Kamel and Johnny said too. He says he's going to come on. Well, we'll see. Both of those will be fun, so let's see what happens. All right, now let's run through the growing list of fine folks who've been so kind to have tweeted, retweeted, mentioned, DM'd, followed, or liked us on Facebook this past week. Jordan Brady, Davian Dent, Pittsburgh Nerd Pod, Tenacious Double D, Screens and Moans, Christine Blackburn, Steve Belanger, Amish Baby Machine, The Guy, Not Quite Right, Edmund Farger, Vincent Boucher, Cara Tramontana, Brit in America, Wasis Miller, Conrad and Jack Show, Wolf Pack, Pod Gods, Sky All Violet, Travis Knight Comedy, Mango Chuffy, Renewal's Desk, John Machine, Kate Smith 1400, John Anilio, I am Danny Blaze, Martin Price, Bob Zaney, Nug Nargan, Alex Enriquez, Peaches and Hot Sauce, Jeff Jaquel, Justy Dodge, Matt Lynch, Hob the Troll, Craig Shoemaker, Grant Hone, Ty Chortz, Andrew Furtado, Kelly Bingham, Jeremy Long, Ian Punnett, Sunshine, Lal Chesia, Monica Homburg, Jim Young, Guy Gal, Rakesh Sietal, jo- Josh Indy, Banful of Candy, J-Rad, Corky Knievel, Jesse Jones, Travis Clark, Level 7 Access, I.O. West, Talking Rubbish Podcast, Joe Pardo, Tanucci Queen, Gigi and James Garner. What a bummer. Gigi is James Garner's daughter, and they had a shared Twitter account, and they just started following me a week before James Garner passed away. Damn it. I was a huge fan, and especially a fan of the Rockford Files. What a great guy. Ah, a shame. Anyway, uh, Rob Schraub. 
Matthew Young, Jeremy Sklar, Jean Jacket Rousseau, David McAdoo, The Pod Mafia, Illusionoid, Jim Browning, Angry Old Man Podcast, Zombie Rage, Reddit Comedy, Chris Wilson, The Autumn Stones, Hot Air Radio, Talk Nerdy to Me, The Angry Chimp, Josh Eberly, Anastasia Sin, Rom Tankin, Aaron O'Connor, the FRA podcast, which asked us to check out their podcast, which we will, and Miss Ella James. Okay, let's pack up the tweet sack until next time and get into my chat with Nick Revel, who is one of the brains behind the panel comedy podcast, No Pressure to be Funny. Here's Nick's rant off of the last episode of the most recent season, and from that we will jump directly into the interview. Jeremy Paxman. Retired from Newsnight uh, and immediately started slagging off everybody who works on the program. Uh, and he also declared himself a, a one-nation Tory, which confused me and shows me that he knows a little less about politics than we assume. Because think what you like about one-nation Tories, at least they have basic, decent, good manners. <laughs> well, he went on to say that anyone who thinks they can change the world is on a fool's errand. In which case, proud to be foolish. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. I've been reading a lot about uh, neoclassical economics recently with, with a view to turning it into a zinging 10-minute stand-up <laughs> routine. And, uh, and I think I've failed. But, um, but what, what made me do it was I, I came across a statistic uh, that the richest 85 people on the planet at the moment are as wealthy as the poorest 3.5 billion people on the planet. That's the poorest 50%. And I know I've mentioned that before in one of my monologues, but it really bears repeating 85 people as rich as the poorest 50%. Um, and uh, if you talk to a neoclassical e economist, they'll say, well, yes, it's sad, but that's, that's economics. You, you can't change it. You have to live in the real world. We're all greedy and selfish, and the way to get wealth to the poor is to let the market operate without regulation, and our, all our greedy, self-interested economic activity will then create more and more wealth, and eventually it will trickle down from the rich to the poor. Uh, and the proof of how successfully uh, that trickle-down theory has been working is that now on this planet, 85 people have as much wealth as the poorest 3.5 billion. Um, but the thing is... Uh, for everyone on the planet to have the same standard of living as us in the developed world, we would need the resources of about eight planets. Uh, and, and unless I've missed a couple of NASA press statements, uh, I don't believe that that's going to be happening uh, anytime soon. And that means that uh, for the neoclassical economic model of the real world to keep working successfully, uh, and I'm using successfully there in the same way that Rebecca Brooks uses the words vindicated. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the poor of the undeveloped world have to stay poor permanently for, our to for us to enjoy our standard of living. Now, the really important thing here, don't tell any of the third world poor that, because if they find out, I reckon they might be a little pissed off. Uh, and one advantage that they have, being poor and desperate, is that they have nothing to lose. And that means they don't have to submit to the rules of the real world as described by neoclassical economics. And as far as I can see it, more and more of them will turn to violence just to survive. And who, who can blame them, frankly? And if you're white and you have shoes, you're a target. We have nothing. So now we embrace the Allah of Jihad. Yes, he is merely our imaginary friend. And his rules visit violence and destruction upon you. 
What is the market but your imaginary friend whose rules visit destruction upon us? We do not wish to do this, or more of us would have done it sooner. What choice do you leave us? And just to show that I mean you no ill will personally, here is a friendly word of advice. Buy shares in Kalashnikov. <laughs> My point is, Jeremy, if we don't start changing the world, someone else will. But now, after all that heavy stuff, please come with me now on a little recuperative excursion to Tuscany, favourite holiday destination of the One Nation Tory, and specifically to Florence in the 13th century, where effectively the capitalist system begins. Boom in the textile industry, making lots of merchants in Florence very rich and getting paid in gold. The sheep see none of it. They're the original wealth creators. Do you see a pattern developing? <laughs> the merchants are worried about their gold being stolen by thieves. So they entrust their gold to goldsmiths because goldsmiths have strong rooms. And the goldsmiths become bankers. People entrusted their money to bankers for fear of thieves. That's how banks were invented. And also, irony. <laughs> the next two developments, fractional reserve banking. They have 100 gold pieces in their strong room. They start issuing banknotes at a rate of interest, lending them out, saying, this is worth 10 gold pieces. If you come back to the bank, you can get your 10 gold pieces. And they hit on the idea that they can issue notes for more gold pieces than they actually have in their strong room, provided not everybody comes back at the time to get their 10 gold pieces. So you could have a 1,000 thousand gold pieces represented in banknotes for 100 in the bank. And that works perfectly, as, even if people understand the system and they know it's happening, as long as not everybody goes back at the same time, it all works. So what I'm saying is the system is a figment of the imagination. Faith that money doesn't literally... That faith that money that doesn't literally exist except as a mutual agreement in people's heads is actually worth something, and it works fine. The reality is partly in the vault, but mainly in people's heads. The other thing that happens, right? Christians start lending money at interest. Just one problem, money lending is condemned by the Bible, so you go to hell for it. So it's a tough moral choice for these Christian money lenders. Earn a lot of money, but burn in hell for eternity. Mm. So to keep God sweet, what they do, they finesse the different definition of usury, and they find a loophole. They say, we're not making money on the loan here, we're just taking expenses incurred in the administration of the loan. This is not hellfire and damnation evasion, it's simply hellfire and damnation avoidance. <laughs> they reworked the small print of God's word to defy God, who was pretty big at the time. <laughs> And I say this, if you can do that, use the ingenuity of the human mind to change the system of the God they believed in just to suit their own business needs, then I would say we can change pretty much anything if we put our minds to it. Because it's all a product of the human imagination. Trying, the, trying to change the world might be a fool's errand, Jeremy, and scoffing at those who try is a prick's prerogative. Oh, and by the way, Jeremy, our final abiding image of your 25 years on Newsnight is you on the back of a tandem with your nose up Boris Johnson's ass. Thank you very much and good night. Uh, so I am on the line via Skype with Nick Revel, who is... In hello. The, hello there. You are in the, in the UK somewhere. I am. I'm in North London. Yeah. Enjoying the hot weather. Nice. Nice. Yeah, that's a, that's a paradox, really, isn't it? Don't hear that same sentence. <laughs> seems to be. Yeah, it's uh, rather warm here in San Francisco as well. Uh huh. 
Um, but uh, Nick, uh, as uh, many Succotash listeners uh, should know, uh, is one of the masterminds behind um, uh, a great podcast in, uh, in London. It's a monthly podcast uh, called No Pressure to Be Funny. And That's right. uh, you've just concluded season six? I think it's season six, yeah. Um, we, Yeah, yeah. Uh, we've been doing it now for just over three, about three and a half years now. So, uh, yeah, uh, it's amazing how it's, um, it's carrying on, you know. Uh, for those of you who have not heard uh, the show, and I'll definitely include a clip as part of this interview, but if you've not heard it, it's a, it's a live show presented in a theater in London and then uh, made available via podcast uh, a little later on. That's right. And uh, it's, uh, it's a little unusual. I, we do have panel shows uh, in some American podcasts, but uh, it seems like you guys really have sort of captured the format in a, in a very nice way. And uh, why don't you talk a little bit about sort of the format of the show and how you arrived at um, uh, the formula, really? Right. Well, you know, obviously, firstly, thank you for <laughs> enjoying it and having me on. Um, I've always... I've always kind of specialised in topical, uh, satirical comedy, not exclusively, but that's by my main instincts. And um, I wanted to put together a, a, a show where you could you could have a combination of uh, mainly comedians talking, but maybe uh, a pundit from journalism or politics or some kind of non-government organization or whatever, so that you would have a mixture of serious... So that the gags were there to uh, to discuss the story rather than just using the story to get gags. Right. Um, because I just felt that a lot of the stuff I saw on TV, particularly over here, um, was just getting a bit shallow, really, you know, masquerading as satire rather than doing anything with any depth and I'm a, you know I must say that the American models were a real inspiration like mm. uh, like uh, John Stewart like Bill Maher uh, like Colbert and and so on and um, I suppose that's really where we we started I started off thinking you know um, yes let's make it mainly funny but try and give ourselves the license to to be serious if that's more appropriate and that's why one of the reasons that I'm um, I asked a friend of mine, James O'Brien, who's a, a radio journalist and, and uh, does a phone-in show on London Broadcasting every morning. I asked him to be the host because he's got a good sense of humour, as I hope comes across. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. He's brilliant at you know keeping all the plates spinning, but he's not a comedian. And I felt that that not only gave us quite a, a lot of gravitas and kudos with having somebody with a you know with a good. A, a good media status, but also that it's it set our stall out to say, yeah, we are gonna we are gonna be mainly giving you laughter, but we're also gonna try and um, and and look at this stuff seriously. We're not gonna sacrifice um, covering the stories in a bit of depth. And also, as you know, sometimes there are some stories that if you're aiming to cover them in a, you, you can't cover them in an entirely comic way. But there is still value in putting some kind of satirical angle on a on a sensitive story you know and i think it gives us more freedom to actually do that as well right and then you also include a bit of music which is a, a nice way to sort of break it up and yet still provide a different sort of commentary yeah exactly i mean you know just from a pacing point of view obviously it's a nice variation um you know we start both 
the halves of the show with with a song uh, near the top, so it just gets the gets the momentum going and so on. And, and the other nice thing is there's some really good uh, musical comics um, in in well, mainly in London, obviously, because we're on a low budget. Most of our guests are <laughs> based in London, unless they happen to be down here for for other reasons. Um, and we've got a really good uh, a, a really good roster of of comics who, who who love coming on. And well, everybody, it's one of the nice things actually. It's because we're doing it for paying peanuts, and but we're getting really good people because they enjoy the freedom of being able to just step out and stretch out a little more than they might do in the clubs, you know. Right. Um, what other, uh, there, I think there's a co- one or two other people that have sort of helped you sort of bring this format along, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, well, principally myself and Alistair Barry, who's another uh, really, really good stand-up comedian mm-hmm. and uh, an old friend of mine. And again, you know, he, he's always got a topical, satirical element in, in his stuff. And um, we actually, we actually... I mean, we've been mates for a while, but I was I was brewing up the idea of doing the show, and I was thinking I need somebody else who's going to be prepared to be committed to this on a, a long-term, <laughs> regular basis. Um, and there were a few, you know, topical comics I had in mind, but then Alistair and I we we went down to uh, to do a gig for another a friend of ours in in Kent at a really nice little town called Whitstable, which is a sort of oyster capital mm. of. Kent and it's a very sort of cool trendy alternative little town and uh, uh, we went down there to do the opening night of this little theatre and um, we stayed overnight they they weren't paying us but they 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 said they'd buy us lunch and we went to this fantastic uh, seafood we basically got pissed in the English sense (laughs) all all the the following day after the uh, uh, after the gig and it's some really fantastic food and uh, we were dubbed by our, our, our pal Nick Wilty when he came and found us. In, so we went to the pub after we'd been in this restaurant <laughs> for four hours. So it's like it's like Fraser and Niles here. You talking about the food, and uh, so that's how we're kind of known now. Oh, that's uh, funny. That's funny. Uh, yeah, yeah. And and anyway, after that experience, I thought, yeah, he's the man to. Uh, uh, to get involved in this because uh, you know not only does um, he want to change the world through jokes, he's, he can also appreciate a good chablis and a well cooked piece of habit. <laughs> so you know, you've got to have these priorities lined up. Of course, of course, yeah. all important. Well, let's let's talk a little bit about sort of your comedy genetics. You're uh, mostly a stand up. Yeah, I started out at university. I Monty Python was the big role model back then, so I went to university in the mid seventies, and so uh, it was sketch comedy when I was at university. And then I started selling a few jokes to the radio and TV um, in my last couple of years there, and sort of uh, started to try and you know make a decided I would try and make a, a professional go of it. And of course, at that point. 1980 when I left there wasn't really a um, a stand-up circuit in this country in this country you would have the the working men's club circuit up north which was uh, a bit like the Catskills if you like very traditional uh, kind of jokes and really I suppose nobody nobody wrote their own material it was just everybody diving into a common fund and and 99 percent of also very different today with the honor yes (laughs) honor of the new circuit um but uh, you know that that move into into alternative comedy was just happening as i left uh university so i had no real i'd have no real thoughts of being a stand-up 
Um, but I thought, well, I'll go along and try. And I was, I'd always been aware of Lenny Bruce for three years. Mm. And, uh, and then Richard Pryor's first uh, film came out over here, uh, the live concert, which really did blow me away. So all that was happening at the same time. So I, I went down to the comedy store and tried out and um, didn't, wasn't immediately successful, but certainly the bug had really bitten. Yeah. And I was in a, I was in a theatre company for about the principal. That was my principal activity for the following eighteen months, I guess. But I would, if I was in London, I would come and try and do the store. And I was writing comedy for this theatre company and still selling jokes to the radio and to TV. So it, it built up from there, and it was quite exciting, really, because I guess I was on the sort of back end of the first wave of okay. sort of yeah. comedy. And, you know, so you're kind of seeing the whole thing developing from this sort of, I don't know, I always think of it as the comedy equivalent of punk at that point, (laughs) into this huge Frankenstein's monster of commercial and commercialism and egotism that it's become, you know. But, uh, yeah, yeah, it's been quite an interesting journey over those those years. So that's my my kind of trajectory. And I've, I've all, I've written sitcoms radio tv sitcoms and uh, i uh written a couple of novel, novels and i took 10 years off doing stand-up and i was just writing and i did a couple of solo shows which were more they were funny but they weren't they were theater pieces rather than than stand-up and then i jumped back into the stand-up about 12 years ago sort of a typical kind of one-man show kind of a presentation Yes, um, they had a narrative through line to them. And again, I suppose they were not exclusively funny, but I, I, felt, I felt I'd reached the point where I knew that if I was going to go for a, a, a story or a piece that didn't have jokes in it, that I, the jokes weren't there for a reason and out of choice rather than simply because I was incompetent at keeping the gag rates up. So again, it became quite liberating to try and just sort of stretch the stretch the confines a bit, and, you know, um, uh, for example, I had a five-minute bit about uh, Dachau concentration camp. <laughs> right, right for humor. Well, didn't have a lot of jokes in it, but it was narratively apt and powerful, and so on. So, you know, I was just trying to just take chance, not take chances for their own sake. But if it felt like, well, I want to write about that experience, and how do I fit it into a show, and blah 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 blah. So, yeah, and then I got back to, to proper stand-up about. Yeah, 12 years ago. Yeah. And uh, growing up and making these sort of life decisions, your parents, I imagine, delighted that you've chosen comedy as a career path? <laughs> they, well, to be fair, when, when I first told them, they were appalled, I think, you know, because I was at a good university and had reasonable prospects of uh, doing whatever conventionally um, one might expect. Um, probably, I would have probably been a spy, actually. Um, <laughs> But uh, well, I did modern languages, you know. It seems I to see. be possible. Yeah. But um, uh, but anyway, um, actually, once they'd seen me doing a couple of shows when I was at university, they they were quite supportive, really. Um, I think they were probably quite anxious as well. But uh, they were they were far more positive than I'd oh. expected. Oh, that's excellent. Yeah, excellent. Yeah. yeah, they freaked out at first, though, particularly my dad. You know? Yeah. Um, now, have you uh, have you tr- because you guys do a lot of uh, international things on the show in terms of the news you talk about? What have you traveled extensively, or have you been sort of locked locked into the British Isles? No, I, I I wouldn't say extensively. I mean, I've been to the states. So I don't know about a dozen times, I guess overall, both vacations and and working. Uh, I've been to India. I've been to a lot in Europe. Um, uh, 
I haven't been south of the equator, actually. Costa Rica I went to. So that's why I'm shouting for them in the World Cup since our <laughs> ignominious exit. Um, yeah, so I, I've, I've travelled a fair bit. And, I like, you know, I do. I like travelling. I lived in Germany for a year because I taught French. And, I, I, lived, I learned, did French in Germany university, so I taught German uh, English in a school in, in Munich for a year. Oh, and um, okay. Yeah, and I've, I've worked, worked quite a lot. I've worked in France, worked in Sweden, worked in Finland, worked in Germany, worked in Belgium and Holland. And so, yeah, and I like getting, I, I like travelling. It's always, there's always something comes out of it, uh, you know, not, well, not just for, for work. I don't base, base everything around work, but you always, you know, I, I like the perspective it gives you. And, of course, Scotland. Uh, mm-hmm. A foreign country, <laughs> a foreign country in your own backyard. Yeah, absolutely, and, and and likely possibly to come become more foreign in the autumn if they vote for independence. That's true. That's true. I think the ir- irony there is, of course, that they think that you know uh, they're going to vote yes and get rid of the English. But given that would mean that the Conservatives would have a, a permanent inbuilt majority in England, <laughs> they don't realise that half the country is going to be showing up as refugees. <laughs> <laughs> I think they factored that into the equation. That's 25 million left-wing English people will be turning up in Edinburgh. That's great. So. Uh, getting, getting back to uh, the, the podcast at hand, um, what, uh, it's hard to tell from the, from the audio. How, how big an audience do you guys get into the theatre? Well, we're um, in our current room, which is a, it, it's a fantastic cellar bar in, um, in, a, in, a, in a pub called The Phoenix in, in central London. We moved from Soho Theatre for various reasons, and um, it, it's, it, 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 the, the pub does a lot of quite classy comedy through the, the month, and the capacity in that room is about 140 if we're rammed to the gunnels, um, it's got a great feel, this, this, uh, this, this room. And um, we normally get, I would say, uh, round about 100 we're happy with because it, it means that everybody can see properly and it's not so packed out that, you know, people are losing concentration because it's too, uh, too stuffy or whatever. We do actually have air conditioning, which is another thing which nice. is really exciting. Yeah, uh, but it went off on uh, oh. on Sunday because <laughs> the lighting and the air conditioning just blew about fifteen minutes into the show. Um, but yeah, so I, I, I would say we were averaging around about a hundred. So you can either be comfortable or well lit, but not the two. Exactly. We you know we don't want everybody to have everything because then they'll get complacent and think that life is uh, is is meant to be easy. And that's I think that's what a, that's probably the main life lesson in the show is that nothing you should expect nothing to be easy. So uh, yeah. What uh, what kind of hoops do you have to jump through in booking a show like No Pressure to Be Funny? I mean, it's monthly, so you've got some yeah. time. But what uh, yeah. you probably have headaches that most podcasters who just sort of sit in their garage or, in my case, off in the front seat of my car and yeah. talk, talk into a recorder do not face. So what, what is that challenge like? Well, um, I suppose, it, you know, we always wanted to do it as a live show. And uh, so we were always dedicated to the idea of, of getting an audience in. Of course, the, the, the main problem is making sure that we get enough guests to to sit at the table and that uh, hopefully some of them are you know got a high enough profile to to pull in an audience and in mm. fact again i mean it's um it's really pleasing actually how it's comparatively easy to get people everybody who does it really wants to do it again so we've we've 
we've got we've got good buzz going round about about us uh, amongst the um, in the comedy community, and we do get some some really uh, big names uh, wanting to do it. Um, Frankie Boyle's very keen to do it. The uh, Scottish comedian uh-huh. who yeah. you, know, you presumably might be aware of him, uh, Andy Zaltzman, who's the oh sure part, part of the Bugle. That's right. Yeah, he's done it several times. Yeah. Um, oh, I could run a list off, but you know the nice thing is that. Um, somehow we've made it a really pleasant experience clearly because people do want to come back and of course once you get one or two big names uh, who, who have done it and are coming back then it's easier to get uh, other people to do it the nice thing is we're also getting quite sort of high profile journalists and non-comedy people now and and again you know words getting out I think amongst the journos that it's um, it, that if you go on there as the non-funny person you won't be you won't be hung out to dry. You right, know. right. Definitely didn't want to make it uh, an alpha male pissing contest between, you know, <laughs> loads of comics just trying to elbow their way to the mic. And um, so obviously sometimes you have cancellations and you, you can't really object because we're not paying enough money to, you know, uh, insist on people sure. being, able, being able to insist on people turning up. Um, but generally speaking, it, it, it works all right. The nice thing is now that because we're at the Phoenix one of the problems at Soho, which is a great space, but they found it difficult to give us uh, advanced dates far enough ahead for us oh. to be able to plan uh, the rest of our careers and, you know, offer offer dates to people far enough ahead. Whereas at the Phoenix, we're on a permanent uh, permanent agreement on the last Sunday of every month, so we all know where we are, so we can block book ahead much more easily. Oh, that's great. Yeah, it takes a lot of the stress out of it. We did do um, six weeks in a row at Leicester Square Theatre, and that was really hard work because there were just two of us putting the script together and doing everything and booking and blah, blah, blah. And, of course, you know, making sure that you had enough guests for a weekly show for six weeks was extremely stressful, I must say. The other nice thing about doing it monthly is that it means you can just pull in the stories from a whole month and you, it kind of just affects the, the rhythm sometimes. It means you can just be a little, a little bit more considerate of the, the longer view of a particular story as well. And I think that suits this balance that we're trying to get between it being mainly funny but not entirely so. Yeah. Now, how much um, how much editing do you end up having to do before it goes to podcast? Because uh, with a live audience, it's hard to to cut completely imperceptibly. So I've noticed some some you know edits here and there. But how, yeah. how much generally yeah. goes into the show? Well, I don't worry too much if you know if there's something which if the odd edit does show up and it's not too crude and bumpy, then I don't I don't really worry about that. I kind of think that it. It, the, the Guardian, for example, described this as a, a charmingly scruffy satire show, and I quite <laughs> like that. You know, the fact that we've got a few ragged ends here and there, and yeah. I think that tr- I try and capture some of that in, uh, and reflect some of that in the actual, you know, in the technical cutting. Or it enables me not to worry too much about it being, you know, totally slick because we don't want it to be a facsimile of a radio show or or of a TV show entirely. We want it to have its own identity. Yeah, yeah. And um, so it's basically I just kind of look to try and get it down to somewhere between, I don't know, 45, 50 minutes, generally speaking. And, uh, you know, we've actually learned to structure the live show. I mean, for example, putting the songs in and putting our monologues in at certain points means that it's easier, easier to keep the panel discussions into 
distinct, discrete chunks so that when you're cutting them, you've got more chance of being able to, I don't know, you know, join up the conversations without it feeling like there's a massive slump or change of gear or whatever. Um, and uh, so it normally takes me about, I don't know, about eight, ten hours now. I'm getting reasonably reasonably adept on the uh, technical side, which, as you know, is not my natural forte, <laughs> uh, <laughs> which amazes me the fact that I, I can cut it together now myself. I'm thinking, jeez, it's like I'm 12. It's fantastic. Um, uh, yeah, yeah so- it's, it's like when I first started doing Succotash, my uh, uh, producer, I was at his home studio, and he would have to cut everything together. Yeah. It would take me like a week to get the show from him. And now, yeah. it's, now it's pretty much me cutting everything together and he'll help me out if I need something but uh, you do kind of learn it's just it's not as hard as it seems to be when you're looking from the outside you know yeah yeah but it, it, it is funny though the way that I think oh yeah I can I can shock a few kids now with my uh, <laughs> with my computer skills but but funny enough the anecdote that comes into mind when, when the lights went out um, I was very chuffed because there were younger comics than me who whom I had to show how to open the torch <laughs> on their iPhones. <laughs> yes. But then I had to confess that I, it was shown to me by the, I think she was five, the, the, the daughter of a <laughs> in Wales when I was staying at their house after a gig and she showed me how to do it. Funny. So, you know, um, yeah, we live so and what, learn. So, so Nick, what, uh, what else either do you have going on or what, where do you think um, the show might go? Do you think this could be, become some sort of a, uh, let's say commercial venture on television or something like that? We'd certainly like to try and make it a bit more commercially rewarding um, if we can. I think, you know, problem is that most of the TV channels have got their version of a satirical show at the moment. And indeed, you know, radio is difficult because James has a contract with uh, LBC, so we couldn't even pitch it to BBC Radio. Uh, But, uh, you know... this part of me would love to try and get it commercially viable uh, without going to mainstream media. On the other hand, obviously, we'd be open to uh, to talking to people about it, provided we could, you know, keep the well, keep that charming scruffiness around the edges. You know, I'd, it'd be, I, th- I think the strength of it is the fact that it's not it's not a slick, bang tight, uh, edited, yeah. um, slickly tightly. Uh, show that's edited just for the laughs or whatever, and um, so I suppose the nice thing is that you know even though we're not making any money, at least we've got some, we've got a template now and a lot of experience and a, a certain sort of, well, integrity, which we're just begging some you know multimillionaire to come and mm-hmm. uh, c- c- come and violate, you know. Now, have you have you tried to capture some of it on video to see how it plays? We have actually. We we filmed the show in March, and we're and again because we're begging favors off people. Um, it's been a slow process just getting um, getting a show reel together. But we um, we're underway with that. That should hopefully be ready sometime in the summer. And then at least we'll we'll probably put some clips up on the website, uh, and we'll also have a about a twenty five minute version of it to um, to pitch to. Uh, to commissioning editors if if any of them are interested and we're also going to do a 90 second version you know to to allow for the sort of traditional natural attention span (laughs) the the, the no the no pressure to be funny sizzle reel (laughs) that's yeah that's right yeah yeah. that's it exactly in the pan so you guys so you guys are down for the rest of the summer when does the show come back up 
it comes back in September. Um, I'm going up to Edinburgh for the festival, which I'm really excited about this year. Actually, okay. I've been up for a few years, and I'm doing a so I'm doing a solo show up there called Closet Optimist. Um, <laughs> it's about you know trying to find the odd shred of hope amongst all the crap that rains on our heads um and that's shaping up really nicely i've got a really nice venue which is very pleasing and um so i'm really looking forward actually to be able to have well the next six weeks or so just entirely focused on um, on a stand-up show and then we're yeah we're back at the end of september and we're doing this one which is really nice actually the one in september we're doing um in conjunction with a um a charity called international alert who um uh, they sort of they send observers to conflict zones and report back and, you know, they're, they're kind of an NGO committed to resolving global conflict. And their, um, their international secretary, um, Dan Smith, is a, he's done the show a couple of times. He's very deadpan, very funny, very informative when he talks seriously on, I don't know, Syria or whatever. It's quite riveting. He's got just got a very good way. And he can also throw the odd joke in. And we're doing it, um, they're doing a promotional week or so um, uh, to raise their profile in September. Uh, and we're doing it in conjunction with them, which is fantastic because it, it's really nice to have that kind of, you know, mutual support system with uh, people who are stopping wars and stuff. Obviously, you know, we don't want them to, to be entirely <laughs> successful. <laughs> Kills off so much of your material, doesn't it? Yeah, if if they could just knock it down to skirmishes, that would be great. That's true. Great amount there. I was going to say, if you want to, if you get a chance to capture uh, your Edinburgh show uh, on audio, I'd love to play a chunk of it on Succotash. Oh, fantastic. That's really kind of you, because I'm I'm definitely going to be recording it, so I will make a point of um, sending you something. That's fantastic. Oh, thank you very much. Oh, absolutely. That'd be terrific. Um, and uh, why don't you tell folks uh, the best place that they can uh, they can find no pressure to be funny before we get off the line here? Certainly. Uh, well, the best thing to do is to go to our website www.nopressuretobefunny.com, and you can get uh, information of the upcoming shows. And there's a whole library of all the podcasts and uh, uh, and some glamorous pictures of. Yeah. <laughs> Some of our more glamorous guests. Well, great. Well, we're going to, uh, as soon as uh, we say goodbye, I'm going to jump into a clip here for uh, uh, people to get a chance to listen to it that haven't heard it before. And, Nick, I just just want to thank you for uh, taking the time to talk to us and uh, look forward to hearing more from you uh, as the summer progresses. Well, it's an absolute pleasure, and it's, uh, I'm delighted that uh, you, you find the show so entertaining. And um, hopefully I'll be across on the West Coast at some point in the next 12 months or so. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing Will Durst at some point. Oh. I haven't seen for ages. And there's a couple of the, the, the American comics going to be up in Edinburgh who um, I might try and uh, well, that you know, would, that, see how I can find my way over. That would be yeah. great, uh, especially if you get into the San Francisco Bay Area. Please let me know because we'll, uh, we'll do it again in person and uh, maybe try and get you on stage at one of our uh, venues here. Oh, that'd be really cool. I look forward to it. Have a good summer yourself, Mark. And that- um, Take care. Thanks, Nick. You too. Take care. Well, was it you that Jeremy Paxman was talking about? It, when he said what? Well, when he said these, these people who still think they can change the world, these people who still oh, probably, oh, still probably. Well, I thought I, he said I, they're I, just I mean, a bunch of thirteen-year-olds. I, I mean that as a compliment. And, and Wayne, <laughs> Wayne, who asked the question, um, there was a second part to it, saying, "Is he just being a political windsock and pandering to the UKIP types?" Which is in, contained within your answer because it, it's meaningless rhetoric, which UKIP types, yeah. UKIP types absolutely love. Something I, I've, I've discovered 
even more about in recent weeks, um, uh, uh, culminating mm. this weekend in an astonishing tweet from uh, a member of the party, someone who's, who's, who's run for office, saying, here you are, it was a quote from the Daily Express, a cutting from the Daily Express, you're always asking what laws it is that, that actually damage us and why we UKIPers are so keen. Here's a whole article in the Express listing the laws. And I thought, oh, good, because there's nothing more embarrassing than asking a, a UKIP supporter what law it is they really object to and then hearing mm. the silence stretch out endlessly over the horizon. <laughs> so here's an article, here's a neatly contained little article with a little Daily Express cutout, and it listed them, top ten new, new laws brought in that, that show you the iron fist of Brussels punching the testicles of British people. It didn't quite put it like that, but that's because they don't have very good subs on the Express anymore. The uh, <laughs> number, number one was the labelling of fruit juice is going to be changed. <laughs> Evil uh, bastards! And, and, <laughs> <laughs> but this, what, what I find... Is that because of immigration, do you think? Well, yeah. that, <laughs> give it time, Ashling, give it time. Yeah. Nasty immigrants foreign bringing fruit in their orange, coming orange. over What here. else is there, James? With what their else? kumquats, <laughs> with their kumquats and their kiwi fruits. Yeah. What's wrong with a bloody gooseberry? That's what I want to... I get sent quite a lot of this stuff, so you'll have to indulge me. See, they tried it twice with the jackfruit and failed. Now they're coming after our fruit juice. (laughs) But you see, it's funny until it's sent to you in earnest by several thousand people as part of an orchestrated campaign. What a nice guy. Looking forward to hearing his bit from Edinburgh as well. Before the new season starts, you can go back and binge listen to episodes of his show at nopressuretobefunny.com. And as a little bonus, I'm going to tag this episode of Succotash after Bill Haywatt gets done with the closing credits with a very funny World Cup-related song from the last episode of No Pressure to Be Funny by James Sherwood. Before that, we officially close out this episode with our Burst o' Durst. This week, political comedy fixer Will Durst congratulates the GOP for doing nothing and doing it very well. Hey, guys. Will Durst here to congratulate the GOP for following the will of the people and accomplishing absolutely nothing, obscuring their inaction by coordinating a party-wide Force 5 frenzy that would make rabid hyenas jealous. Something about Obama drives them crazier than chocolate banana fritters with raspberry sprinkles in a bento box. Maybe it's because he's the smartest guy in the room and isn't shy about sharing that opinion. Maybe he's the anti-Bush, or because he looks different, extremely different. Could be they just want to stay in practice. Whatever it is, they don't get him, and they don't want to get him, and think it's a doggone crime that anybody else gets him. So now they're busy derailing any possible agenda by throwing a slew of dastardly insults onto his person. Dick Cheney called Obama the worst president of his lifetime, which is a mighty coincidence, since a lot of people think that Dick Cheney was the worst president of Obama's lifetime. John Boehner announced that he's going to sue the president. For what? Not even he knows, but you can be sure the term smarty pants is going to be bandied about. Sarah Palin called for the POTUS to be impeached. And Sarah Palin, demanding the punishment of someone for not properly fulfilling an office, has to be one of those pot with the kettle and the color black situations that we've heard so much about. Rick Perry said the president is behind a conspiracy responsible for the throngs of Central American kids crossing the border. And along with his new glasses, Rick Perry, correctly pronouncing conspiracy, is a huge upgrade. 
with Mitch McConnell in the Senate and the House and the Supreme Court lined up against him, it's amazing that the president has passed anything through Congress. Makes you wonder if we'll be able to affect positive change ever again. This political paralysis may just be the new normal. Instead of status quo, status no. America has gotten stuck unstuck. For Suckatash, the podcast of comedy podcasts, I'm Will Durst. There's more Will Durst to be had at willdurst.com. He tweets at Will Durst on Twitter, and you can like him on Facebook, too. Bam! Epi 91 of Suckatash is basically over. Done. Kaput. If you've got a comedy podcast yourself, or you're a listener to a comedy podcast that you think we should be listening to, our announcer Bill Haywatt has all the information you need to get that information to us. Please check out my podcast reviews every week as part of This Week in Comedy Podcasts on Splitsider.com, and also my solo review that I shave off and put up on Huffington Post. This show has been a hoot, don't pollute, and don't forget to please pass the succotash. You've been listening to Suckatash, the comedy podcast podcast with your host, Mark Hershon. Brought to you by Henderson's Pants and... Imagine your company's name right here. Find us on the web at SuckatashShow.com, on iTunes, on Stitcher Smart Radio, and on SoundCloud. You can also hear us streaming and like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Suckatash Show. Email us at marc at SuckatashShow.com. Or call into the Suckatash hotline at our non-toll-free call number, 818-921-7212. That number again is 818-921-7212. is produced and engineered with the kind assistance of Joe Paulino through the auspices of Studio P. Sausalito, home of the hit. Our associate producer is Tyson Saner. Our musical director is Scott. Carvey. Our booth assistant is Kenny Durges. Until next time, I am your loyal booth announcer, Bill Haywatt, reminding you to please pass the succotage. Goodbye. Please join me in welcoming to the stage, ladies and gentlemen, James Sherwood. My name's Luis Suarez and everybody says I have disgraced the World Cup with my biting. But it is my belief that when I show my teeth, it only makes the matches more exciting. After my supposed crime, I have four months of spare time. I I can't do football things or visit football places. I'm public enemy number one. What am I supposed to have done apart from meeting other players and being racist? (laughs) Now I'm out of the World Cup. I have my lifestyle to keep up, but no well-paid football games with which to fund it. So I offer my expertise to any TV companies who are after quite a different kind of pundits. All these so-called experts say how they think that we should play and how this World Cup is one to savour. Well, I've tasted the atmosphere, I've smelt the players' fear. I can give a much more accurate flavour. 
The Spanish are quite fishy. Argentinians taste of steak. Iran are like a Kit Kat. Pretty good on a break. Germans taste so much like sausage is all Australia can do not to take them all straight home and throw them on the barbecue. Mexicans are hot, the Russians not, the Belgians are like the Dutch. The French are just delicious, though the garlic gets too much. The Swiss all smell of cheese and their defense is full of holes. I love to nibble a Nigerian when I'm not scoring goals, but Italians, they're the most delicious in the whole World Cup. An Italian, maybe with a little garlic bread to mop him up. The Italians, they are so yummy I could put them on my plate. The Italians, oh, when I see them all, I start to salivate. Ole, Japan and South Korea, they make small and tasty men, but then half an hour later you just want to play again. I like a healthy pinch of chili, but not too much of grease. I find the problem with Brazilians is they get stuck in your teeth. Slow roast a Costa Rican, you can eat him with a spoon, or Ecuadorian, Colombian, or a chap from Cameroon. Algeria, Honduras, Portugal, and Ivory Coast, I could turn into pate and have them spread on Melba toast. Ghanaians and Croatians should be stewed on the bone. If you can't finish an American, they let you take him home. I love the English wine when you're giving them a kick in. Bosnia heads the governance. Well, they just taste of chicken. But Italians, they are the most al dente of all teams. The Italians, washed down with their Chianti and Feva beans. The Azzurri, oh, I can eat them till my stomach starts to ache. Chiellini. Just like my mother used to make. Ole. James Sherwood, ladies and gentlemen. James Sherwood.